0: Blog Talk Radio. Hello to everyone out there and welcome to Hallway Conversations on Epilepsy.com. My name is Dr. Joe Cervo, I'm an editor-in-chief of Epilepsy.com and I'm really thrilled to have you joining me today. Today is October 29th, 2015 and literally on Sunday, we are at the 1st of November, and that makes it National Epilepsy Month. As we get prepared to really spread the word about epilepsy, we also want to tell people about what's going on, what's happening in research, what are some things we may expect. And today we're going to focus on a topic that we really never have directly on Epilepsy.com or Hallway Conversations, and that is the concept of biomarkers. Uh, we're going to talk about that in a moment, and joining us to do that today is Dr. Pete Engel. He is the Jonathan Sinai Distinguished uh, Professor of uh, Neurology, Neurobiology, Psychiatry, and Biobehavioral Sciences, the Director of the UCLA Seizure Disorder Center at the David Geffen School of Medicine at UCLA, Pete, it is such a pleasure to have you on uh, our podcast. We're just delighted to have you uh, join us today. Well, thanks, Joe. It's nice to be here. Well, I know that um, you certainly have a very long uh, and illustrious uh, history in epilepsy, but but for those who might be uninitiated uh, or some other type, tell us about your role in the field uh, and current work before we get into the topic so people know the context from where you speak.
1: Well, in, in addition to, you know, the work that we do here in, in caring for patients, uh, we do translational animal patient research uh, into basic mechanisms of epilepsy uh, and also uh, clinical research. Uh, we've been interested uh, particularly in using patients uh, who are undergoing surgery to do uh, studies that involve uh, invasive procedures in the course of their evaluation uh, so that we can do the same kinds of studies in patients and animals. So we've been focused largely on mesial temporal lobe epilepsy and hippocampal sclerosis, but Lately, we're also interested in post-traumatic epilepsy uh, and traumatic brain injury because this is probably the best clinical context to
0: look for biomarkers. Which And in such a huge issue in terms of just the sheer numbers of people that have it from that cause. I guess let's start and kind of guide us with at least telling us what is a biomarker.
1: Well, epilepsy biomarkers uh, are biological changes that indicate the presence of an epileptogenic process. Uh, It should be with a sufficiently high degree of reliability to warrant some kind of intervention. Uh, You'll hear people talk about surrogate markers as well. Uh, Biomarkers indicate a biological process. Surrogate markers don't necessarily need that, but... um, Uh, a surrogate marker is something that replaces something else. So, for instance, uh, a marker of epilepsy is an epileptic seizure. But if you don't want to wait for an epileptic seizure to occur uh, in order to say that somebody has epilepsy, for instance, uh, there's something else that you could look for, uh, that's a surrogate marker. Uh, And uh, biomarkers uh, would be surrogate markers, we have no surrogate markers for epilepsy, like uh, hemoglobin A1c, for instance, is a is a, a
0: biomarker for diabetes. Yeah.
1: What
0: what types? Of, so so, given that that's an area that you're exploring a, at this time, like what what types of epilepsy biomarkers might exist, or are there?
1: Well, I think it's it's convenient to divide epilepsy biomarkers into biomarkers of epileptogenesis and biomarkers of epileptogenicity or ictogenesis, and let, let me explain what that is. Epileptogenesis is the development of epilepsy. It's the epileptic, epileptogenic process that turns someone with a normal brain into someone with epilepsy, for instance, after a traumatic brain injury. Uh, so a biomarker of epileptogenesis would tell us um, who is at risk for developing epilepsy after an insult, uh, a potential epileptogenic insult, but epilepsy uh, isn't something necessarily that stops, uh, or the epileptogenic process doesn't necessarily stop once seizures begin. There are uh, epilepsy disorders which are progressive, so <clears throat> biomarkers of epileptogenesis could also tell you when someone who has epilepsy has a progressive disorder. Uh, the uh, biomarkers of epileptogenicity, which we're now calling ictogenicity, which means the, the um, ability to have a seizure, um, the risk of having a seizure, it, it will allow you to diagnose epilepsy when it's present.
0: In many ways, I think this question is self-evident, but I'll just ask it for just kind of for the for the sake of just emphasis here, but. Why do we need biomarkers what what's the difference between that versus the tests that we currently have?
1: Well, I don't think it's self evident at all uh, okay. i think uh we we absolutely need biomarkers in order to uh do the research that's necessary to come up with uh treatments and also Uh, If we had biomarkers, it would revolutionize the management of of epileptic seizures. So, for instance, we have no way currently uh, to prevent epilepsy, and we have no cure for epilepsy. Uh, And there are uh, potential interventions that might prevent or cure epilepsy uh, that have been developed in the animal laboratory but there's no way to test them in patients. So let me give you an example. As I said, traumatic brain injury uh, Mm -hmm. leading to post-traumatic epilepsy is probably the best clinical condition to study epileptogenesis in humans. In order to do that, you have to have uh, the time of an insult and then follow Mm -hmm. a patient from that insult until they either do or don't develop epilepsy. Okay. But even with the most severe uh, traumatic brain injury, maybe only 15 to 20% of those people will ultimately develop epilepsy for a variety of reasons that we don't understand. Uh, and they can develop epilepsy 10 years later. Uh, but maybe 80% will develop it within two years. But in any event, in order to have a clinical trial to test the efficacy of an anti-epileptogenic intervention, you would have to test thousands of patients and you would have to to follow them for at least two years. Uh, And the cost of that is prohibitive. But if we had a biomarker uh, that could tell us who is at risk uh, so we could enrich the population uh, and only study those people who are very likely to develop epilepsy then then it would reduce the population necessary to do the clinical trial. Also, uh, if we had a biomarker that diagnosed epilepsy, then we could say maybe within a few months uh, whether the person is going to develop epilepsy or not, whether the intervention, in fact, worked without waiting for them to have to have a seizure. Uh, so that, so that uh, again, it would reduce the time of the study uh so so biomarkers of epileptogenesis uh would be a, t- a tremendous value uh for uh the holy grail which is coming up with uh, a treatment that would actually prevent epilepsy and that treatment could possibly also cure certain types of epilepsy so uh and biomarkers of epileptogenesis could also be useful Uh, in uh, telling us which patients have progressive diseases uh, and ought to be referred more quickly to more aggressive treatments like surgical treatment, for instance. Now, biomarkers of ictogenesis would allow us to diagnose epilepsy. Right now, there's no way to diagnose epilepsy, and we have to wait for them to have seizures. Right, And in most cases, we have to wait for them to have two seizures. So a patient comes in with a single seizure, uh, and we say, well, we don't know whether you have epilepsy or not. In most cases, we don't treat because we know that two-thirds of people who have a single seizure won't have a second one. Uh, And they come back, they have a second seizure. Uh, The second seizure could cause injury uh, uh, or or even uh, death. Uh, If we had... A way to say when somebody shows up with a single seizure, we'll do this test, identify this biomarker, yes, you have epilepsy, we're going to start treatment immediately. That would be a tremendous advantage clinically. Um, We could also uh, distinguish epilepsy from psychiatric uh, non-epileptic seizures. Right Uh, right now, often these patients are admitted uh, to uh, epilepsy monitoring units for expensive Uh, inpatient uh, continuous uh, video and EEG recording. Uh, If we had a simple biomarker, we could make that diagnosis without the cost. Um, We could diagnose cure, as I said. Uh, Right now, there's no way to tell a patient that they're cured. Uh, There are certain types of epilepsy that are self-limited. We know uh, that certain types of epilepsy... Uh, go away in adolescence, for instance, in most patients, but not all. Um, and many more types of epilepsy than we actually realize um, do spontaneously remit. Uh, and we don't know when a patient stops having seizures on medication, whether uh, they no longer have epilepsy or whether the medication, this, you know, their remission is due to the medication. So if we had a biomarker and we could say, okay, you don't have epilepsy anymore, can stop the medication without any risk. Uh, That would be a tremendous advantage. Uh, We could tailor treatment to individual patients, personalized medicine. Right now, uh, the uh, pharmacological treatment of epilepsy is trial and error, as you well know. You put the patient on a drug. Uh, and the patient goes home uh, and comes back in a month or two <clears throat> and either has more seizures or not. And if mm-hmm. they have more seizures, then you increase the drug or you try something else. Wouldn't it be wonderful if we could do a test, give them the drug, repeat the test, and say, this drug is going to work, or it's not going to work, and then do it again with another drug?
0: Um, it would be amazing and changing. What, what, that, what do you see? What, so what are the ongoing studies that are being done to assess or find this this blood test, this EEG, this MRI, whatever thing that would be the biomarker. What studies are ongoing?
1: Well you know, the the um the studies uh that are being done uh to identify biomarkers are based on studies that have a, identified mechanisms of epileptogenesis and mechanisms of ictogenesis—that that is, the generation of seizures. So there are a lot of biological processes that we're aware of uh, that could be targets for biomarkers, for instance, cell loss like hippocampal atrophy. Uh, but we don't want changes uh, that occur uh, that aren't going to change over time because um, we want something that will go away once the uh, uh, the condition uh, is resolved. Uh, so, axonal sprouting is another uh, synaptic reorganization. Uh, altered neuronal function. We can look at gene expression profiles and protein products. Uh, Neurogenesis—that's uh, the birth of new neurons—are being looked at. Uh, there's altered uh, glial function, uh, inflammatory changes, uh, and angiogenesis—that's changes in the in the uh, Blood vessels uh, in the structure, uh, and then just altered excitability and synchrony, and these have led to uh, the identification of a number of potential biomarkers. Uh, so, uh, for instance, uh, the um, the uh, uh, febrile seizure study that uh, right. that Shlomo Shinar is heading uh, has identified early changes uh, on the MRI in the hippocampus after. Uh, prolonged febrile seizures uh, in kids, and right. this has uh, appears that it is a biomarker of hippocampal sclerosis later, the atrophy right. of the hippocampus, but they still don't know. I think whether this uh, is related to the later development of of seizures and mesial temporal lobe epilepsy. Uh, their interictal spike changes on the EEG, and uh, there's a possibility that functional MRI, fMRI, may Mm -hmm. be able to identify features of the EEG spike, uh, the metabolic signatures of the EEG spikes that uh, could have value as biomarkers, because uh, lots of work has been done over decades trying to make sense out of the, the spikes themselves, which don't turn out to be very useful at all Uh, except in absence epilepsy. Uh, It's been referred to as red spikes and green spikes, where red spikes may indicate epilepsy and green spikes don't, but we can't tell them apart. So one very interesting uh, development that we've been particularly involved in has been the identification of what have been called pathological high-frequency oscillations. Mm -hmm. Uh, And these are brief on the range of uh, uh, 100 to 600 cycles per second, very fast. And you can't see them unless you really open up the recording and do wideband recording. Um, So uh, we and others now have identified this uh, in patients and in animal models uh, and have found that they're exquisitely localized to the area of the brain that is uh, responsible for generating the spontaneous seizures. So it looks like this may be a biomarker for the epileptogenic region. That is the part of the brain uh, that's causing the seizures and the part of the brain that needs to be surgically removed in surgical candidates uh, in order to render them seizure-free. So I think this is the first biomarker that could actually uh, come to practical use, uh, but in a very specific instance, and that is to identify the epileptogenic region in patients who are surgical candidates. The problem with uh, PHFOs, uh, as they're called, is that the they can't be seen unless you are recording directly from the brain. Uh, there, it, There is some evidence that you can record things that look like PHFOs from the scalp, but we don't know right. if that's the same thing. But they may have correlates, for instance, on fMRI, uh, metabolic correlates that can be seen. So there's hope uh, that these indicate a process that could be a useful biomarker. It's already been shown, for instance, that these PHFOs appear in rats uh, who have intrahippocampal canate to make them epileptic, uh, that it appears within the first week Uh, in rats that that develop the seizures weeks or months later, uh, and only in the rats that develop seizures and not in the rats that don't. Uh, So in that sense, they could be biomarkers of epileptogenesis as well as biomarkers of uh, ictogenesis. Uh, other things that people are looking at is transcranial magnetic stimulation, looking at excitability, for instance, mm-hmm. that changes uh, with drugs. Farah um, uh, Chagani <clears throat> uh, has published uh, a, a lot of papers now on alpha uh PET, which is uh, uh, a PET tracer which seems to be selectively taken up in epileptogenic regions Uh, But this work hasn't been uh, reproduced because it's hard to do. Uh, Ideally, what we would want is a change in gene expression. If we had a change in gene expression, all we had, and it was present in white blood cells, we just do a finger stick and say, yes, this patient has epilepsy or they don't, or this drug is going to work or it's not going to work. And think how this could facilitate clinical trials of new drugs uh, if we could – shorten the time uh, to see whether a drug is going to work. And
0: one thing well, I didn't did you... mention yeah, sure, is please. that
1: is that well, we need new screening models to screen the thousands of potential anti-epileptogenic and anti-seizure compounds. Right. Uh, and right now uh, the pharmaceutical industry is hamstrung with a few models that are cost-effective uh, that are only... Uh, telling us uh drugs that work against uh, uh seizures that are easily treated by drugs we already have, so if we had uh screening models that were models of other kinds of medically refractory epilepsy, we could come up with new uh novel uh pharmaceutical agents uh for Epilepsies that are now refractory to medication. So the
0: finding of biomarkers is, is, is clearly of profound uh, importance. Uh, assuming we uh, that these uh, that something comes to fruition that gives us this, how of of the PHFOS the uh, the febrile convulsions, which ones do you see probably the closest to either should be used currently being used in clinical care? They've actually translated. To the exam room or office.
1: Well, I think we're very close to using PHFOS uh, in surgical uh, pre-surgical evaluation, uh, and I think that's about as far as we've gone uh, it. with with biomarkers.
0: We, this is such a huge issue, and you, you've you've clearly articulated, you know, how this can be kind of a game changer in so many fronts. I'm sure that our listeners. Out there, this it will garner their attention. So, if people want to find more about this, I mean, what do you think they should do? Maybe they're a patient. Maybe they're a doctor. What's your suggestion here uh, in this direction?
1: Well, I can suggest a couple of references if people want Great. to look up the literature. Uh, in uh, 2011 uh, i edited uh, an issue of a journal called biomarkers in epilepsy or biomarkers okay. in medicine rather uh, it's uh, uh, 5 uh, volume 5 pages 529 to 664 the whole issue of biomarkers of medicine is devoted to papers on biomarkers in epilepsy um then uh there's a paper that was written by a whole committee uh in a supplement of epilepsia uh published in in two thousand thirteen this is in supplement uh this volume fifty four supplement four pages sixty one to sixty nine and then asla pitkinen and i uh recently uh wrote uh another review in neurotherapeutics uh that's volume eleven pages two thirty one to two forty one uh, in two, 2014, but I think for uh, patients who are interested in this and want to be involved, right. what they need to do is ask their doctor, who in okay. their area is doing uh, research in biomarkers, and get them pointed to somebody uh, uh, that they could talk
0: to. Fair enough. So, so at least at this time, if 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 anything, ask who they're seeing, see if they can get them directed in some. What manner of way uh, to to this research, because I know some people will be definitely very uh, interested. P, we're in our last uh, minute or so, and um, I guess, what would you want to make sure that anyone listening to this podcast walks away from it? What's what's your main take-home message that you want to make sure people uh, kind of espouse after having listened to it?
1: Well, you know, I think the summary is that biomarkers are necessary to validate uh, anti-epileptogenic interventions uh, and that biomarkers, you know, would greatly facilitate diagnosis and treatment of epilepsy. Um, And uh, that the research in biomarkers is also elucidating mechanisms uh, that could be targets for novel treatments. So uh, I think uh, there are... a tremendous number of reasons why uh, clinicians and basic scientists working in the field of epilepsy should be interested in in biomarker research, and we'd love to have more people doing this.
0: That is a fantastic words. Pete, I want to thank you so very much for joining us today. This has been so very helpful. I hope as things come out in this area or any area that um, we can uh, count on you to kind of join us uh, at some point in the future as well.
1: Sure, I'd be happy to. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to talk about biomarkers.
0: I really, really appreciate it, Pete. We've been talking to uh, Dr. Pete Engel. He is the Jonathan Cine a Distinguished Professor of Neurology, Neurobiology, Psychiatry, and Biobehavioral Sciences, as well as the Director of the UCLA, uh, UCLA Seizure Disorder Center at the David uh, Geffen School of Medicine at UCLA in Los Angeles. We've been talking about biomarkers. You heard some references in there, then, and, and we'll try to post those online. I want to thank everyone for joining us today, and I hope that you find this or any of other podcasts helpful and useful information for you. Have a great rest of the day. And remember, November is National Epilepsy Month. Thanks again for joining us, and, Pete, thank you again for joining us today too. Thank you. All right.